I know it was a bad pun, but I couldn't resist. <laughs> the old movie that has been remade, and now you have all the Walking Dead series, and I couldn't help but resist to grab the invasion of the body snatcher. <laughs> but today is about Advent. Today is a story of, of preparation. Um, Advent is a time of waiting and, prep and preparing uh, for the coming of our Lord Jesus, our Messiah. Um, and we prepare in some maybe unusual ways if Jesus were to reappear again today. Um, we're out putting lights on the houses. Um, some people even put lights on their cacti. Uh, we decorate inside of the houses. Um, we throw holiday parties. We make Christmas cookies and candies. And um, we purchase presents to go under these beautiful trees that we put up, like this one here. We prepare a sumptuous Christmas feast. But is that the kind of preparation that Jesus is warning us to be about? Good question. Let's dig into that one this morning. What kind of preparation is Jesus talking about? Not that Christmas feasts are a bad thing. I mean, just ask Ebenezer Scrooge who had a life transformation where he bought the biggest goose he could find in town. Or, if you don't believe Ebenezer, ask Charles Dickens, who wrote the story, A Christmas Carol. Jesus ascended into heaven, but what he's telling us is that he won't remain there forever. He ascended into heaven, but he is coming again. And so he wants us to keep watch and to be prepared, to be alert, because he will come again. As he left us, he will come. So the most prevalent question that gets asked about this scripture text is when will this happen? When will this happen? And Jesus responds to that question with his reply because the disciples are asking this question as well and his response is that none of you know the time or will know the time none of your neighbors none of your brothers and sisters in Christ who go to other churches none of them will know the time not any human will know the time of Jesus second coming He doesn't stop there. The angels don't know the time. So even if you call upon the angels to tell you when Jesus' second coming will be, the angels don't know the time. Even the angels in heaven. The heavens don't know the time, or at least they're not sharing it. And here's the kicker. Even Jesus didn't know the time. Even Jesus. He said, the only one who knows is his Father. So God knows the time. But God has chosen 
not to reveal that to anyone. So we are called in Advent to be prepared, to wait. And as we wait, Jesus tells us that there, there is a resemblance of the coming of the Son of Man to the coming of the flood. If you remember the story of Noah and his family, there is a resemblance because Jesus highlights that resemblance as he teaches his disciples. But Jesus speaks of it differently. In the Old Testament, it says that the people were very, very sinful. And that's what brought about the flood was their sins. And so the waters, the flood waters, crash over the earth because of the human race and because of their brokenness and their sinfulness. Jesus, however, says none of this. He doesn't highlight any sin. As a matter of fact, um, he reminds people that life before the flood was like life in their day. Jesus is comparing the daily life before the flood with the daily life of people in Israel in Jesus' day. And we might be able to also then make the correlation that Jesus is referring to daily life in our day as well. Much like life in our day, people were eating and drinking, they were marrying and being given in marriage. Those are awful things, aren't they? I mean, just terrible. You do not want to eat any more food or drink. Well, maybe after Thanksgiving we don't want to. But, I mean, think about it. Eating and drinking itself, there's nothing sinful about that. Getting married, there's nothing wrong with that. Giving in marriage, I mean, one of the best days of my life was walking my two daughters down the aisle when they got married. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a day of celebration. Jesus is not saying that, that we should keep watch because we're so sinful. He's not saying that we should keep watch because our sins will get us into trouble. What he is saying is that there is nothing sinful happening in his examples of daily living. And might we substitute our Advent preparations here as well? I mean, think about that for a minute. Decorating outside of your home, decorating inside of your home, putting up Christmas tree, buying Christmas presents for loved ones, preparing special foods, having a Christmas feast. Is there anything sinful about that? No. There's nothing wrong with those kinds of preparations. But let us not turn our keeping watch and our being alert for the coming of the Lord into a new work, into a new righteous act or deed. So we are to keep alert and to keep watchful in the midst of our daily living. However, the temptation is to turn this into a new work. 
<clears throat> I am going to keep extra vigilant, and I am not going to eat or drink anything except for maybe the keto diet. Is that what you did this weekend, Marcia? <clears throat> I'm not going to eat or drink. I'm not going to, I mean, I'm not even drinking water. I, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. So, so what Jesus is saying is keep doing the things that you do in your daily life. And keep watch and be alert as you go about your daily life. Don't create this into some new kind of work that makes you like a super Christian, like, well, I am keeping extra vigilant because the rapture is coming. And the body snatcher is going to, the body snatcher is going to grab somebody, and I want to make sure it's going to be me and not my neighbor. When we think about it that way, you know, which of us doesn't have family or friends who have been influenced by that kind of theology? Or maybe it's just my weird family and friends. But, um, you know, I, I have family and friends who, who believe in the rapture, who believe um, in post-millennialism, which is a theological term for a thousand-year period, and Jesus comes again after that. Um, I am not a post or a premillennialist. I'm more of a uh, both and, um, which makes it really complicated philosophically, but that's where I like things. Um, and so keeping watch becomes like a proof of their faithfulness. And um, there was the the book series by Tim LaHaye and, and Jenkins, James Jenkins, I think, uh, Left Behind series, and uh, it was really frightening. Um, and, uh, you know, when, when, when we look at those kinds of stories, those kinds of illustrations, it creates a fear within us that I don't think Jesus intended for us to have. He's not telling you to be very, very afraid. What he's telling you is to be alert and to keep watch. So keeping alert is not something to check off your spiritual attributes. Keeping alert is about whose you are, you belong to God, and who you are as a child of God. You are a child of God. It's not about what you do. This alertness, this watchfulness, is about who you are. If you have a neighbor, turn to your neighbor and say, I am a child of God. Go ahead, try that. If you have to think about being alert, being watchful, then you might not truly be keeping watch. Um, in, in chapters 23, 24, and most of 25 um, in Matthew, you have what, what scholars would call is the final, the fifth discourse in Matthew. Uh, and this discourse is focus is on judgment. Um, and so these chapters highlight warnings and parables and stories about God's judgment and Christ's second coming. And I guess what has influenced me in 
the reading of this section of this discourse is that the righteous ones weren't even aware of their righteousness. They were righteous because of who God made them, not because of how they made themselves. Does that make sense? Let's take a look at um, uh, a little bit later on here, chapter 25. We're, we're in chapter 24. But let's go to chapter 25, and, uh, and I'll begin at verse 34 to verse 40. In verse 34 it says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your house. And I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Notice that the righteous ones weren't even aware of their righteousness. I love that section at verse 37. Then the righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink or as a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When? Were you ever sick and in prison and we visited you? And Jesus says, when you did it to the least of these, that's when you did it to me. You see, the righteous don't think of themselves as righteous. They think of themselves as children of God. And they go about their daily routine and that daily routine becomes a part of who they are. It had become a way of life for them so that they didn't even know that they were doing righteous acts. How often have we done righteous acts and sought to be recognized for them? Jesus says that people will be about their normal lives right up to the time of his second coming. And there is nothing wrong with that. Go about your normal life. Go about the way you live as a child of God. But how can we make serving those in need a normal part of our daily lives. Let's say that we feel like we haven't been serving those in need. How do we make that a part of our daily life? How can we make daily devotions and weekly worship a part of our daily lives? One of the interesting statistics that 
I get from the church organization, the, the synod and studies done by the churchwide is, is rather interesting because when I, maybe 15, 20 years ago, um, an average worship person, an average worship, people thought of, of, of weekly worship as the norm. Um, and then about 15, 10 to 15 years ago, it became once every two weeks. And our bishop has shared with us recently that the newest research shows that people consider themselves a regular worshiper if they come to worship once every six weeks. And I, I'm not here to render any kind of judgment, but to ask the question, um, how do we live outside of the context of the community of faith? How do we live outside of, um, of daily devotions, which can, which can be a struggle for me? How do we live outside of a life without service? How do we live outside of a life without community, without brothers and sisters in Christ, without Thanksgiving feasts and Christmas feasts and daily meals? How can we be better stewards of our time, our talents, and our financial resources, that, the things that we have? Jesus isn't expecting us to be super Christians. He wants us to be faithful in the ordinary things. And when we are faithful in the ordinary things, what's interesting is that to us it looks ordinary, but to God it's extraordinary. So don't Go and try to create a whole new thing about your life. Keep focused on your normal life. And is God a part of that normal life? Amen.